by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Here we are once again, everyone, on the Better Than Before podcast. I'm Tony Richards, along with producer Bill. Hello. So glad to be back in your ears uh, this week with another leadership business podcast. We work very hard every week to bring you some things that we think will help you in your leadership and your business. Today is no exception. Uh, I'm going to share some skill sets with you that are essential for success in business and in life and uh, go into some detail around the overall umbrella of self-management. I've got what's on my mind and what's in the news coming up here in, in just a second. But I'm distressed this week, Bill. I'm, I'm upset. Oh, what's wrong? Well, I'm driving down to Farmington, Missouri last week. So what I did was I got through my schedule all day. And I left for Farmington around 6.30 or 7 o'clock. Mm -hmm. So I like to spend my evening driving and listening to podcasts and various other outlets that I enjoy listening to for learning and all that. I mean, just when I'm in the car, it's in the evening, the sun's going down, the moon's coming up. But I, I, I don't have many client calls coming in. I've kissed my wife goodbye. I've petted the dogs. And so I'm just going to settle in for a three-hour drive down to Farmington, Missouri, and just listen to some good stuff. I'm listening to this review of this movie, First Man. I think a couple of weeks ago I said it was about John Glenn, the first man to orbit the Earth, but it's not. It's about Neil Armstrong, the first man to land on the moon. Okay. And I find out by listening to this podcast that they have basically erased all symbols of America in this movie. So one of the most iconic images of Neil Armstrong landing on the moon is the planting of the American flag on the moon. Right. And then they all have patches on their spacesuits, American flags on the space. And a lot of that has just been cut and eliminated from the movie because the producers of the film believe that this was a global achievement, not necessarily a national achievement by the United States. Wow. So I don't know if I'd go see a movie like that without, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not happy just thinking about it. I can't imagine mm -hmm. what would happen if I went and, and I understand because of time and you have to make creative options in editing and, you know, you can't put everything in a, in a movie, but I mean, that is just hogwash. That was an American achievement by the United States. I was there. Mm -hmm. I was alive. I remember we were in a race with the Soviet Union to see who could get to the moon first. And we got there first and planted the American flag. It was good for the globe, but it was not a global achievement. It was an American achievement. I agree. And that just pisses me off. <laughs> so I, I may not be able to go see that movie. Yeah. And then further... I wonder if the investors, I wonder if we looked into who the investors of this movie are. I wonder if that has anything oh. to do with some of the editorial choices, but 
Well, also a global audience, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, history is history. I hate this movement of, well, we need to adjust that because of the way we feel today. We need to go back and adjust some. I hate that whole... It's a sensitive time. I mean, I was a history buff in school. I mean, Mm -hmm. from grade school to high school through college, I only missed one history question on a test ever. I mean, I love history. And I love it when you go see historical recreations and movies and bio pictures and things like that. I think those are great. But when you're not going to be somewhat true to the story. Right. And it just punches my patriotic button, you mm. know, when, well, it was a global achievement. No. <laughs> No, there were other people on the globe trying to do it too, and they failed. And we're not going to give them a participation trophy. We won. Well, this is what happens when you try to please everyone. Yeah, forget that. Okay, so here's what's in the news. Sorry, I just I had a, a burr in my saddle, Bill, right here. Off I can the tell. So there's a network television leadership crisis. Have you noticed that the networks have not really changed anything? Yes, I've noticed that. I mean, and all of this innovation and change in technology and now these online channels are making all these interesting shows and they're having you be able to watch them anytime you want to. You don't have to wait for the next week's episode to come out. You can watch it all in one night if you want to binge watch it. And the networks, let's get excited about our new fall season <laughs> I mean, seasons are going away in television. Right, right. It's funny you say that because I just recently watched network television, just curious. And you're right, it hasn't changed at all. Must see TV, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come see our new phone lineup. <laughs> oh, my, you're you're not paying attention to what's going on. Major changes are underway in the top ranks of the biggest broadcast networks. Now, why do you think that is? (laughs) Despite ratings declines, why do you think that is? Still driving many millions of viewers and billions in revenue to the broadcast networks. It's a hard habit. I think it'll be a hard habit for people. I mean, I have told the story many times about my dad. I don't care what we're doing. If I'm there visiting my mom and dad, I don't care what we are doing. At 5 o'clock, he's going to turn on the local station to see the weather. Every day. Mm -hmm. And the morning, and lunch, and in the evening. And I whip out my iPhone, and I say, Dad, listen, I can get you the weather right here. I can tell you what it's going to do the next 10 (laughs) days. I can tell you the temperature, the high, the low, any kind of storm warnings or anything right here, just anytime you want to. And he's like, wait till five (laughs) o'clock. For a lot of people, those habits associated with network TV are going to be hard to break. For other people, though, who are more on demand that want to be their own programmer, I think the network TV is going to suffer. Right. And as the generations move along. Um, eventually that viewership is going to go away. While executives come and go all the time, no one can remember a time when there was so much change and turmoil at the top of the broadcast networks. Longtime NBC Entertainment Chairman Bob Greenblatt is leaving the network after eight years, saying he wants to explore new challenges. Makes sense. 
Disney and ABC, Disney's top media boss, Ben Sherwood, announced last Monday he will leave the company after Disney completes its acquisition of 21st Century Fox. What's left of Fox Broadcasting Network, which will mostly be news and sports, will be run by a slew of presumably new and old executives, potentially including Fox TV Group Chairman Gary Newman. Longtime executive of CBS Les Moonves was ousted after sexual harassment allegations, and Univision CEO Randy Falco is retiring at the end of this year amid canceled IPO plans. During the fall launches, the most important part of the TV year for broadcast networks, everything is in turmoil. The whole decision-making apparatus is in flux. The executive quoted in this story says the clearest impact will be on preparations for a year from now. Nobody knows who's in charge, who's buying, who'll be putting shows on the air. The whole cycle of development and pilots has been disrupted. Isn't that what we just said? Mm -hmm. It's all been disrupted. Got to get on the page, boys. Got to get on the page. Some of these people, you wouldn't let run your vacuum cleaner. They're running networks. Key fobs for cars. Have you heard about this? I have not. Get you a key fob for your car. It could give you an opportunity to fingerprint scan. Uh, This was in the Detroit Free Press, the story by Phoebe Wall Howard reprinted in usa today newer cars with keyless starting are always waiting for the fob signal thieves can buy legitimate devices that amplify or record and replay the fob signal sitting unprotected in a purse a pocket or a counter at home or even just copy the code to access the vehicle wow key fob copying the latest scam to steal cars Auto companies are following the lead of personal technology devices and moving toward vehicle access through fingerprinting, facial recognition, and retina scans because they're all unique to us. This technology will be used in cars in two to four years, said Godfrey Ching, corporate vice president for Silicon Valley-based Synaptics. So be careful with your key fob. Somebody could be copying it. Who will get there first, Uber or Lyft, for an IPO? San Francisco-based rivals Uber and Lyft are both looking to launch initial public offerings in 2019. This is according to the Financial Times' Shannon Bond. She says their listings will be among the biggest the technology sector has seen in years and mark the next stage for a group of high-flying Silicon Valley companies that have achieved huge, huge valuations from private investors so bill you gonna buy any uber or lyft stock i probably won't yeah i'll probably pass as well lyft is targeting an ipo as early as march or april and uber is trying to hit a mandate based on the new ceo who gave them the mandate a year ago including taking the company public has said the company is on track for a listing in the second half of 2019 so it sounds like Lyft is going to get there before Uber does. Huh. So if you're into ride-sharing services and you think there's going to be a lot of growth there, you might want to buy Uber or Lyft when they become available. California is the first state to require women on boards. Governor Jerry Brown signed a bill into law that makes California the first state to require corporate boards of directors to include Women. This is from the LA Times. 
Governor Brown says, given all the special privileges that corporations have enjoyed for so long, its high-time corporate boards include the people who constitute more than half of all living persons in America. The new law requires publicly traded corporations headquartered in California to include at least one woman on their board of directors by the end of 2019 as part of an effort to close the gender gap in business. By the end of July 2021, a minimum of two women must sit on boards with five members and there must be at least three women on boards with six or more. Business groups have questioned the legality of a state imposing such requirements on corporations. Hmm. Hmm. Don't know how that's going to turn out. And not because I don't think that women should be on boards. I definitely think the best people, right? The best people should be on board overseeing that. So the best people are five women. Boards of five should be five women. Right. Right. Or 10 women. Sure. Uh, And finally, unfortunately, I don't know if you've seen this or not, Bill, but yesterday, Monday, is the one-year anniversary of the Vegas shooting. No, I didn't see that. When the uh, guy got up in the hotel room with all those guns he carried in there over a week or two period, and there was a concert going on downtown, and he opened fire on all those people at the concert. Yeah. So all the marquees along the Las Vegas Strip were scheduled to go dark last night to mark the first anniversary of the gunman rampage that killed 58 people. Wow. So they're going to turn out the lights to mark the one-year anniversary. So sad. It really is. I am so happy and pleased, though, that that did not get copied over. Like, we haven't had any more shootings from hotel, you know, like that. Right. You know, I'm thinking, you idiot, you know, you're doing it and you should be skewered for doing it and not only that you're giving more and more people ideas mm-hmm. just to hurt people it's crazy so i'm glad no other wacko has decided to do the same thing yeah i agree okay so uh, coming up i'm going to talk to you about some skill sets that you need to be successful in business and life and we'll be doing that coming up next on better than before sponsored by university subaru From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. Hi, I'm Dave Drain. And I'm Dan Burks. And we're the owners of University Subaru. As a locally owned business, we care for our community. We know how important it is to give back because we grew up here and we raised our family here. This is our home. Which means we care for customers like we care for the community. University Subaru your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, and we will always be here for you. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com.
Welcome back. Better than before, our leadership and business podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. I've got five primary skill categories I want to talk about that make you successful in business and life. But uh, while we're on the break there, Bill mentioned another story that has been going on all weekend long. It was about the CEO at GE being dismissed. John Flannery was dismissed and then... um, uh, Mr. Culp was nominated and elected chairman and CEO coming in, and uh, he's a former CEO of Danaher. Right. Yeah, I read that. Are you an investor in GE? I do have GE stock, but I didn't read the background on Danaher. Yeah, well, Culp was a board of director member. Right. He was on the board. Okay. So he basically voted to remove the other guy, and I don't know if he got to vote for himself or... They asked him to leave the room, and they went in executive session, and they nominated and elected him. But mm-hmm. the guy who's replacing the guy who got fired is from the board <laughs> who fired the guy. That is very interesting. They said one of the main reasons they were firing Flannery is he had paralysis by PowerPoint. <laughs> That's awesome. And I know exactly what they mean by that. <laughs> I know exactly what they mean by that. So many PowerPoint slides, so little action, Right. Right, right. Well, it's been uh, received by the investors well. It's uh, The stock is up 8, 8% today. I don't know, man. It's going to be a hard one because Flannery was a GE guy, and there was a lot of confidence in the company for him, even if there wasn't on the board. Mm-hmm. And I said this about a year ago. This is a classic case study of what to do and what not to do when a company gets screwed up. And they are making all the moves and they're making all the mistakes all at the same time. And so now he basically had six months, six months, and they booed him. So now they're going to put this guy in. And so my big thing on Culp is he's bringing Danaher management into GE Mm. practices. And GE's culture of management is really strong. Mm-hmm. and he's bringing a whole different culture of management in. It'll just be interesting to see. I mean, that's GE, man. That's a big boat to turn. Yeah, it is. That leadership team will have to lean hard on the rudder to turn that boat, and they'll have to lean hard on the rudder just to turn it a couple of degrees. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the middle management support, you may never get anything finished. So if he could pull it off, that's great, but I'm telling you, All you business school students and all you people out there who want to study how difficult it is to make changes in a company, you need to be following this GE story because it will reveal all good things they're doing and all mistakes they're doing. And I just think giving the guy six months is a joke. You know, if he wasn't the guy, they should have not given him the position, right? Right. That's like firing your football coach after six games. And he's a new guy, and he's had six games, and you're like, oh, well, Mm -hmm. he's out. Let's get another one. Yeah, lacking patience. And not only that, but I've been telling people for years, even in a 1,500 to 2,000 employee company, it takes five to seven years to affect real change. So what do you think it takes in hundreds of thousands of employees company? If you want another case study of – Sports and business, just look at Stoops at Kentucky. Mm. Undefeated, teams playing great. Mm -hmm. I don't think he won an SEC game the first year he was there. Right. And the worst thing they could have done was fire him. Mm -hmm. You got to give leaders time to settle in 
recruit the players they need, make the necessary changes, and put their plans into effect. You can't go in with a hatchet and just start hacking people. That throws the company into stress. Right. It takes time. Yeah. Well, it's like building a house, you know. They only gave him time to build the foundation. And the guy who was on the board, who's now going to be the chairman and CEO, okayed all that. He was on the board. That's true. He sat there and checked off on everything Flannery wanted to do. So, I don't know. Seems, I don't know. There might be some... Yeah, there might be more to it. Oh, than I, there's, I'm sure there's a, some politics to it all. But sure. anywho, it's a good case study. So at Clear Vision, we've identified five primary skill sets that are categories that serve to build on your career and success. Being a CEO, if you have an aspiration to own your own business, lead a business of size, or be successful in the executive ranks, here are the five primary skill categories. First one is self-management. And I've gotten on this soapbox before that I don't believe in time management. I don't teach time management. I don't discuss time management. I talk about self-management. There's no way to manage time. It's a flawed concept to begin with. You cannot save 15 minutes for later. It just doesn't work. You can't, it's not a pastrami sandwich. You can't wrap it up in foil, put it in the refrigerator and go, what did I do with that 15 minutes? So time saving devices are a misnomer. You can't save time. You can't manage time. Time is fluid. You have less of it now than you did when you started listening to this podcast, but don't stop listening. So self-management's the number one category. Number two is productivity, addressing the skills needed in order to get things done. Communication is the third category, uh, how we impart or exchange information and meaning. Perception is the fourth category. Perception deals with how we see the world and what we think about ourselves, others, and the world around us. Under perception, that goes into our intentional and subconscious patterns of thought. So in uh, perception, you could have two different types of thinking. We've talked about that in previous podcasts. You can have a scarcity type thinking or you can have an abundant type thinking. Interpersonal. Interpersonal primarily refers to our dealings with other people. How do we get along with other people? How do we manage and think about our relationships, professional and personal? What's our track record in coaching other people to bigger degrees of productivity and larger degrees of success? That all falls under interpersonal. So the five primary category skill sets are self-management, productivity, communication, perception, and interpersonal. Now that I've defined the broad categories for you, there are 52 skill sets that come under those five and today, I primarily want to talk about the self-management skills uh, that fall under this broad category, number one, of self-management. So let's talk about number one, self-confidence. And we define self-confidence as the ability to trust and believe in yourself. There are at least seven sides of self so if you want to learn more about my concept of seven sides of self, you can look that up on our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com, and just in the blog section, put in the search box, seven sides of self, and that should bring up the blog that I wrote about that. And there are so several of them. There's self-esteem, 
There's a self-confidence. There's self-concept. There's self-sabotage. There are seven sides to yourself. And so self-confidence is a component of that. And it's the ability to trust yourself, the ability to believe in yourself, the ability to allow yourself to succeed. You believe you are more than enough. And I think you might be surprised that some of the people that you work with or some of the leaders out there who do not believe that they deserve success. Even if they have a certain amount of success and they believe they don't deserve it, they have what we call the imposter syndrome. And they feel that they're going to be exposed at any minute, uh, which is also uh, not healthy. So number one skill in self-management is self-confidence. And I will also tell you that, and I I was talking about this in the self-esteem workshop a couple of weeks ago, that being disorganized is a big factor in self-confidence. When you're disorganized, how do you feel? You feel like you can't get anything done. You don't know where anything is. Things are junky. You have to search for stuff. You don't feel, I'm putting my fingers in the air doing the quotation sign, you don't feel together. A big part of self-confidence is getting yourself organized, getting your desk cleaned off, getting your files filed in the right spot, knowing where stuff is. Uh, Gives you a lot of confidence. Number two is sense of humor. And we define having a sense of humor as having a lighthearted outlook on the world with the ability and laugh and appreciate a joke. Not necessarily deprecating humor where you believe, well, people are going to make fun of me, so I'll beat them to the punch and make fun of myself. And that makes me feel better about the environment and the whole atmosphere around me. Uh, I feel more comfortable if I'm stabbing myself before anybody else stabs me. That's not sense of humor, right? That's self-deprecating, which is indication of another deficit. Sense of humor is you just like and appreciate a good joke. You like to laugh, but it's not at people's expense. It's not what we used to call in the locker room of athletics, pick-ass humor where you just pick ass at somebody. You're just picking at them and you down me and I down you and you down me and I down you and we're just trying to top each other. It's not what sense of humor is. Number three, living in balance. And there's a whole lot of talk these days about work-life balance. And I'll just give you my philosophy on that. There's no such thing. So if you're looking for the ideal work-life balance, You have to work it out for yourself. And the reason I say that is some people like working. So if you take somebody who likes working and they get a lot of fulfillment out of work, they get a lot of enjoyment out of work, and it doesn't feel like working to them, they're just having fun, they can't get enough of it, they enjoy what they do, then along comes a well-meaning person that says, wow, you work too much, you need work-life balance, you need to be doing a lot of other things besides working. And that person thinks to themselves, gee, I really enjoy my job a lot. I really enjoy what I do and I really enjoy working, but this person's telling me that I'm working too much. See, we got to be careful about that. We can't put everybody in the same jar. It just won't work. Some people desire time with their family. They desire recreation time and that's wonderful. 
in that case, you need to work it out where you get plenty of that along with a healthy work balance where you fulfill your responsibilities, you fulfill your quota or whatever it is you're responsible for. But living in balance is different for every single person. And for some people, 90% work and 10% not working may be perfect for them. You got to let them have a say in it, right? So you got to know how to moderate and how to realign priorities when things are disproportionate. And you have to let that person have a lot of input on what's appropriate and uh, what's disproportionate. Number four, purpose. Knowing and living according to the reason you were put on this planet. Or I like to ask, tell me why you get out of bed every day. I've talked about this before, but I was doing a seminar in St. Louis a couple years ago. And I have this list of coaching questions I like to ask. And I like to ask the audience. It's good interaction. And so I had that question. I think it might be the very first question on my framework is, why do you get out of bed every day? And this guy says, stands up in the back. And he says, to get a paycheck. And I'm like, man, that's the only reason you get out of bed every morning is just to get a paycheck. Well, if you want to have true fulfillment in what you do, you have to tie that paycheck to some sort of purpose. I mean... That money has to go to something that you enjoy or some future benefit. If you're just in the treadmill chasing the carrot every day and you catch a little of it every now and then, that that gets old after a while and that wears on your energy level. Number five is risk-taking. Risk-taking, the ability to step out on a limb when necessary and not always play it safe. Uh, It could even include entrepreneurial thinking. Some people take risk-taking way too far, and they do stupid things that cost them a lot uh, because they're too risky. Other people are too risk-averse. They won't try anything new. They won't try anything different. They won't step out at all. So you've got to figure out a way to hone your skills in risk-taking so that you get the appropriate amount of risk and the appropriate amount of reward. Number six is competitiveness competitiveness. If you hire a manager, you better make sure they have a healthy amount of ambition and they're willing to get in the field of play and they're willing to mix it up with the challengers, the rivals, the competition. There's somebody you want to get in a foxhole with. If you don't want to get in the foxhole with that person you're considering for a manager position, you better not put them in there because if you're the head person, It's you and them against everything else. And so they need to have a certain amount of competitiveness to them uh, to help drive the team forward. Number seven, they need to be a learner and they need to have a big desire to learn. And what this would include is a curious outlook on the world and also a thirst for new knowledge and new experiences. Again, I had a client and she was reading, I think somewhere around 80 or 90 books a year. And I asked her, I said, well, what are you learning and what are you executing? And that's the answer I got. She wasn't really retaining a lot of the information and she wasn't really executing on it, but she was reading it. I cut her back to 25 books a year and asked her to come up with a plan after she reads every book then come up with a plan on how you're going to take what you learned and how you're going to apply it and what it's going to do for you. 
boy, she found that a lot more productive and she found her time more productive and she enjoyed reading even more. If you ever go to a seminar, a workshop, a conference, or read a book and you don't do anything different that helps increase your results, you just wasted your time. Number eight, and we'll take a break after this one and uh, we'll do the next eight, but eighth one is coachability. Being coachable is all about humility. You have to be willing to submit yourself. You have to be willing to be in submission to somebody else to coach you and give you the chance to learn new skills from them. We know wisdom comes from a multitude of counselors. So you may have more than one coach. You may have more than one advisor. You may have more than one person that you draw from. And so you draw water from the wells of knowledge and you may have more than one well that you dip into, but you've got to have the humility inside to submit yourself to somebody. And you have to say, teach me, I'm willing to learn. Being coachable for some people is really difficult because they have a hard time admitting their mistakes and they have a hard time with their flaws. And they especially have a hard time when somebody else points it out or it gets exposed. You have to learn that when somebody hits your truth button, when somebody says something that's true about you and it stings just a little, you have to learn that, hey, pain equals growth. So if it's hurting me a little bit, it's probably good for me. Number eight is coachability. I'm running down the 16 skills that you need in self-management to be a superstar manager or leader. I've got eight more to go, and I'll have those for you next on Better Than Before. Hi, I'm Dave Drain. And I'm Dan Burks. And we're the owners of University Subaru. As a locally owned business, we care for our community. We know how important it is to give back because we grew up here and we raised our family here. This is our home which means we care for customers like we care for the community. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, and we will always be here for you. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, CEO, coach, and business advisor. And uh, I'm running down skills for success in business and life. In the previous segment, I covered the four umbrella areas of skill sets. And I'm diving into number one, which is self-management. And in the previous segment, I covered eight of the uh, different skill sets under self-management that you need for success in business and life. Number nine is emotional intelligence, or we also call that EQ. And emotional intelligence was discovered and basically invented by Dr. Daniel Goleman back in 1994. 
And it's a realistic understanding and perspective of oneself that includes self-awareness, self-regulation, social skills, motivation, and empathy. Those are the five areas of emotional intelligence. And one skill set builds on another. So in other words, you have to be self-aware before you can self-regulate. And you have to be able to self-regulate before you can direct your motivation. And you have to be able to direct your motivation before you can get good at social skills. And you have to be good at social skills before you can have empathy. So those are the EQ emotional intelligence segments. One skill builds on another and follows another. Number 10 is grit, just like the John Wayne movie. True grit. The resilience, commitment, and diligence to work hard and keep going during the tough times. So how resilient are you and how gritty are you? So on resilience, you're driving in in the morning and somebody cuts you off in traffic and it really makes you mad and ruins your day and you get to work. How long does it take you to recover? Are you good to go in about 10 minutes or is your whole day ruined? Or just anything like does an emergency in the morning or a flaw in your plan or something that went awry, how long does it take you to recover from that? Does it take you a whole day or does it just take you a few minutes? With resiliency, you have to develop the skill set to get over things pretty quickly. Number 11 is enthusiasm. It's basically a passion internal motivation to take on new challenges with determination and a positive attitude. Number 12, ethics, honesty, integrity, truthfulness in your work, life, and relationships. Being very conscious in keeping your word. And so if you can't do something, just simply say, I can't do it. If you aren't going to show up somewhere, just say, no, we'll have to schedule it for another time. Uh, I've told the story a bunch. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite stories, but I used to freak people out at church because in church, people come up to me and say, are you going to be at the picnic on Sunday? And I'd say, no. And they're waiting for my excuse of why I can't come to the picnic on Sunday. And I'm not going, I'm just not going. There's no excuse needed, right? Where a lot of people would say, well, I, we're going to try to be there. I don't know if we can or not, but we're going to try to show up. And they know right then and there they ain't going. So be an ethical person. Be an honest person. Be a truthful person. Only give your word in circumstances where you absolutely know that you can keep your word. If you absolutely know you can't deliver and keep your word, then don't say you will. Don't do it. Number 13 is friendliness. Uh, and that's just being generally kind toward other people. It isn't being nice for the sake of just manipulating other people into liking you. It's a goodness. People should be able to tell if you have their best interests at heart or are you only interested in using them. It's a kindness that people can either see in you or they can't see in you. Number 14 is adaptability. Having the versatility and flexibility to adjust when conditions or environments shift or change. We were just talking about the television networks earlier. Television has shifted. It's changed. It's a whole new world. This is not 1985. People have 52 weeks a year now of programming that is being streamed into their house that they control. And so the more that you control it, and the less that they control it, you would think you would put more in their hands and less in yours to try to compete. 
But that's just a good example of not being adaptable. Number 15, being authentic, authenticity, being real, not pretending, not grandstanding, not posturing, but actually being real. And number 16, the last skill on the self-management list, being assertive, being assertive. Uh, That means confidence, but not aggressive. I've known people in my career where they were just a tad aggressive. They weren't being assertive. They were being aggressive. And you basically just have to, you know, back them up a, a notch or two when they get, they overstep. On the assertiveness, though, I would also say it's the ability to communicate with confidence and uh, skill. And it's being able to take the full range of your thoughts and emotions and being able to communicate those to somebody else in a way that's easily understood. If something really bothers you or you're angry, it's being able to communicate that thing that bothers you and the thing that angers you in a way without being extremely angry. So being assertive is that ability to communicate with confidence and skill, the full range of your thoughts and emotions. So those are the 16 skills that fall under the major heading of self-management. And as we go on in the Better Than Before podcast, from time to time, I'll dive into some of these other overarching uh, segments that have skills in them for success in life. We have four other overarching segments besides self-management that we can explore at another time. I think that's plenty for you right now, though, to take a look at those 16. And I hope you got out your notepad and uh, got out your pen or your journal and you made notes on those 16 skills that I just listed for you because there's gold in them there, Hills, uh, as a leader or as a business person for you. If you're going to be successful in business, you're going to be successful in life, you need a lot of those skill sets. And I will tell you why I'm an expert on this because I screwed all this up uh, at one time or another. I've been in a situation where I wasn't self-confident. I've been in a situation where I took too many risks or didn't take enough risks. I've been too competitive uh, at some point in my career. I've not been coachable. I've not had a, a lot of enthusiasm. I've not been friendly. I mean, I've I've had a lot of experience in these, and I've also had people who displayed wonderful attributes in these skills and some people who didn't have a clue. Uh, They didn't know come from Sikkim with some of these skill sets. So um, I hope you took some notes and wrote those down, and we'll examine those in the days and weeks ahead because I think there's a lot of value in that for you. Thanks for listening this week. We'll be back next week. A special guest is going to be Sarah Hill, and she's going to be here to talk about her company, Story Up. And we're going to be talking about virtual reality, which should be uh, pretty interesting. And uh, she's going to send us off to a total imaginary world while she's here on the podcast. So I'm really looking forward to that. Better Than Before is sponsored by University Subaru. From here, been here, will always be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. I'm Tony Richards, and we're looking for five-star reviews wherever you get your podcasts. We'd like to have at least 50 before 2018 comes to a close. So go and give us a five-star review if you feel that is something you'd like to do for our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Remember, everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards. 
a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.